This is The Secret Library, a podcast about creating books. I'm Caroline Donahue, and as a coach for people who dream of writing, I made this show for all of you with a book simmering there on your mind's back burner. Through these conversations with authors, publishers, small presses, agents, designers, and everyone connected to the making of books, you'll learn where the books come from and how to write yours. There's a place on the secret library shelf waiting for your story. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. Hello, we're back with another episode of the Secret Library Podcast, and I'm so excited today to have as my guest Susanna Conway, who is an author, a teacher, you know, she's an inspiration, and she has written three books, co-authored one of them, Instant Love, How to Make Magic and Memories with Polaroids. She's also written This I Know, Notes on Unraveling the Heart. And then her most recent book is London Town, A Photographic Tour of the City's Delights, which came out this year, 2016. So she also writes all kinds of um, amazing blog posts, which I've been following for years, and teaches classes. So we'll maybe get into a little bit about how that impacts writing later on. But thank you, Susanna, so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. One of the things I was really excited to talk to you about is you've written, you've been a part of and then written two books, but they're also different from each other. Yes. How, how has it been to kind of almost reconceive the idea of a book each time you've done it? Well, I mean, all three of the books have, have had a different um, slant on them. So the first one was obviously all from me. Um, there were photographs in it, but it was mainly words. So I think it came in at 55,000 words or something. So it wasn't a, a huge book. But it was it was quite dense and full of emotions. So that was all writing, and that took about six months um, to complete. The second one was a collaboration. So that was me and two other photographers came together to do a book about Polaroid photography. The majority of that, no, not the majority. There's a lot of writing, but there's also a lot of imagery. Um, and actually, the other two photographers did most of the writing because we were doing that book the same year. I was doing my first one. So we agreed that they do much, most of the writing. I did most of the editing. So they sent me their copy and I, I went through it. Um, and then all three of us pulled our images together. So that was our process there. And then with the most recent one, London Town, that is 98% photographs. So that was completely different. I still had to write a proposal. I still had to go through all of that process. Um, but the bulk of the book is photography. So I spent probably I think it was about four months in the end going out into the city three days a week shooting and I figured out where I was going to go what I was looking for Um, but it really was um, a journey of discovery I mean I'd moved back to London had this idea for the book got in touch with my editor I'd worked with on the Polaroid book and she loved the idea still had to do a proposal still had to pitch it to her team um, but they said yes And then I started taking the pictures and that was great. It was such a lovely way to get back into the city, even though I'd lived here before. I'd been away for quite a long time. So it was a way to go back to places I'd previously loved and known, but also explore places I'd never been before. So it was it was just a really lovely way to to fall back in love with London. Yeah, I, I definitely had that experience looking at it. I think what I love is that and you say this in the book that you've picked places that aren't sort of the typical things that people think of when they think of London. It feels more yeah. like a real city, not sort of a 
you know, yes, here's the London Eye and here's the bridge and all of these things well, that you know. There are so many books like that out there. So, I mean, I still had to include some landmarks because it's an American publisher and the book's mainly on sale in the States and North America. So I obviously I had to, there's a picture of Buckingham Palace, but it's taken from the outside. The palace is in the distance. Um, it, the, 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 um, the focus of the shot is actually the, the people that are there. Um, so I didn't want to do, here's a beautiful picture of Big Ben. Although, ironically, Big Ben is on the front cover. <laughs> but, I, but I didn't have any say in that. That's not the cover I would have chosen. But the team went back and forth with me quite a few times and with the sales team to choose an image that would sell the book. So in the end, it wasn't the one that I wanted, but it was the one that made sense with the people who know how shoppers shop, I suppose, how, how the customer looks at, looks at books. And they needed it to be a much more recognisable shot of London than all the ones that I was picking. So I was going on the artistic side of things and they were going on the sales side of things. And, you know, ultimately a book, when it's traditionally published, is 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 meant to be sold. You know, you're meant to make money on it somehow. That's the whole point. So I had to <laughs> bow to their decision um, and we went with a, a cover that was, yeah, quite a recognizable shot of London but yeah I, once you get inside it feels like you're in this city yeah yeah exactly inside there are I mean obviously I shot the center I shot east west south and north so that's how I divided the city up because that's how we see it um we don't it, we're not so much divided up by boroughs because I think there are about 32 so there are quite a few but in north London south London this is how Londoners know the city so that's that's how I focused and uh, divided up the book. So how much did it change? You did a proposal, which you sent into them. I'm curious about the relationship between the proposal and the finished book. I I think it was like a one page synopsis of what the book was about and why I wanted to shoot the pictures and why I was the right person to do it. Um, I included, you know, the usual, what, what other books are out there? What's something similar, something very different? Um, and I also included a set of images that I'd shot. Um, I can't remember which part of the city I'd done, but just so they could get a feel for the style of photography I was thinking. Um, the, the main thing that changed from proposal to finished book was originally I wanted to divide the city up by tube line. So the, the London Underground is, is the iconic <laughs> part of the city. You know, the, London wouldn't function without it. So I thought, well, how would it be to divide this book up by tube line and I could you know I could photograph different stops that are on the the northern line or on the central line but I very quickly realized that the, the reason no one has shot a photography book about London doing that before is actually it's it makes it really complicated um, mm. and confusing because most of the tube lines stretch across the city so it, it just didn't make sense to have pictures yes I could roughly say, oh, they're all um, stations that are on one key line, but it, they might start in the west and end up in the the east. And so actually, it didn't take me long to realise that was a really crap idea. <laughs> <laughs> Just go with what everyone else does, which is north, south, east, west and central. And, and once I, once I realised that, I was like, okay, yeah, that's what we do. And of course, my editor... Um, hadn't realized that, that that would be a thing. She loved the idea of the tube, the tube lines. 
Um, but I needed to sit with it and uh, and realize the the error <laughs> of my decision. So yeah, so we we figured it out, and I told her I think it would be better to do it this way. And she said, cool, you know what's best. So that's what I did. That's great that there's able to be flexibility between the idea that eventually, you know, ultimately won them over, but then it was better for the book in the end to do it a different way. Well, and also my publishers, the one that's published this book is based in San Francisco. So, you know, they they didn't whiz over here to to check out my idea and and look at different places in London. They were trusting me to, to know what I was doing. So you know, that, which felt like quite a responsibility because I'm not an expert on the city. However, coming at it as a photographer, it was more about walking the streets and taking pictures of the things that caught my eye. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't putting myself out there as some kind of historian or, you know, London expert because I'm absolutely not. But what I am is I live here. I've lived here previously for a long time and I know the places I like to go, but I also wanted to explore it with a fresh eye and go to parts of the city I hadn't been before. Um, so I think bringing all of that to a book hopefully keeps it quite fresh. And when you look at the book, and even if you've never been here before, you get a feel for the place. And obviously, it's always going to be through the lens of what I see, what how I see London. And everyone who lives, lives here has a different experience of it. Just as when you're online, we all see different versions of the internet. It's the same with any city. Um, but I wanted to look for... The quirky bits, the colourful bits, the unusual bits, just the, the sort of underneath the shiny layer of London, you know, what is there? And it's such a creative, interesting place. I hope I captured that in the book. Definitely. Did your relationship with the city change throughout the process of doing the book? Yeah, yeah. I um, I totally fell in love with all the Londoners. And Londoners aren't just people who live here. There were millions of tourists, um, loads of people passing through. You know, there's London is such a full city, but you can always find the quiet spots. But as I as I was taking pictures, I just I loved taking pictures of the people that were around me. And in the end, they almost became like actors in this play that I was creating as I walked around because. They were so much more interesting to me most of the time because just how what they were doing or how they just it's like these little vignettes were playing out in front of me. So there were quite a few people captured in the book, but I did it with the kind of view of, well, this is street photography. So and I, I was really careful not to take not to share any photos that made anyone look silly or that I would have been uncomfortable seeing if I'd have you know found myself in a book. So we didn't need to use any model release forms or anything like that because I didn't actually share any portrait, but it was, it was, it was street photography. So there's a lot of people's backs or side views or slightly obscured, but it gives you a feel for Londoners and the people that visit this city. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I love all of them, all the people I photographed who I will never meet again. And they didn't even probably know I was taking their picture, but they just made the pictures come alive for me. And I wanted to portray them with a kind, you know, with a, on, in a kind light. So, again, I hope I did that. <laughs> I thought so. I mean, I think they all look really charming, which is yeah, which yeah. is funny because that's always a tension when you're in a city. It's like there's this tension between, you know, quote, the real city without the tourists. But then, you know, yeah. when you get to a city like London, I don't know if you ever get London without the tourists. I mean, is there a time no, of don't. year when it slows down? I don't think there is. 
no, no, never, never, ever. But there are, it's a really big place. I mean, London is so spread out. There's a lot of square miles that it covers. So, I mean, there's loads of places you can go to where there's no one around. And, you know, if you go to the, the city, the, you know, the sort of the financial district in the city, um, at the weekend, there's not many people around, but it will be teeming with, you know, bankers and office workers during the week. So, you know, there are, there are all sorts of places where you can avoid them. And it's such a shame that a lot of visitors always go to the bits that are busy. They go to Leicester Square, which is possibly the most boring part of London. <laughs> or, you know, they have to go and look at Big Ben and all, there's always loads of people. And the people they see will be like them. You know, they'll have come from out of town and there'll be, you know, visitors. And so the, one of the threads in the book is like, don't just go there. Go and see what's happening in Dulwich or, you know, go down to Brixton or go and have a look in Hampstead and, and all these different places that aren't quite so touristy, but will give you much more of the flavour of, of the city you're visiting because London is so much more than Big Ben and Buckingham Palace. That's, you know, it's famous for that, but you see it, well, you could drive past them in a taxi and you've done it. You don't actually need to go and stand there and look at them, but I'm, I'm sure I would be the same if I, you know, if I went to Rome, I'm going to be standing outside some some famous place and going, oh, look, I'm here. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the tension between grounding yourself in the reality that you're actually there, but also making your own experience of the place. Well, that's why I think it's nice if you come, come for a bit longer than you think you normally would. You know, don't just do a week, do two weeks and kind of submerge yourself a little bit more in what's going on, because then you really do get a feel for the city. Um, the first time I visited New York, I was there for quite a while and I just wandered around. And, you know, I, I've still yet to go to Times Square and I've visited three times now, you know, <laughs> just want to wander and, and find the back streets and, and just get a feel for the place and make it my own. You know, like I stayed in an Airbnb. I didn't want to be in a hotel and I wanted to feel like I lived there for a couple of weeks. And it was so nice. And, you know, people would stop and ask me for directions. And then, of course, as soon as I speak, they can tell I'm not a New Yorker. I'm like, no, I'm just visiting. But it's nice to kind of blend in and not stand out as a tourist. You know, I love that. So, yes, yeah, so that was kind of the vibe of the book, really, was how to not be a tourist here, how to come and experience the place. Well, through my eyes, I suppose. Here, these are the bits. And, and whenever, one, whenever anyone's ever asked me, where shall I go? You know, I'm coming to London. Where shall I go? Those are the places I'd always say. Now it's in a book. I can just send them the Amazon link. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was this all just a strategy as an introvert to give like an FAQ in, yeah. in the form of a book? No, absolutely. It's just a way to cut down on email. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've, I've done it. Yeah, I've done it. Yeah, so if you get too much email, write a book yeah. about what you're getting email about. For real. Yeah. And then you'll be all set. <laughs> so this book was primarily photography. So you had to, you know, go outward in order to get the images, obviously. Yeah. How is it different when you were writing this, I know, because that was pretty much exclusively inward with, with some photography in the book? Well, completely different, obviously. All the pictures had already been taken. Um, I was just drawing from my archive of Polaroids that I had. So, I mean, of course, that was a completely different experience. Also, because first book I'd written, so first long writing project, um, the pressure of having a book deal immediately makes you dry up. Um, and then also it was such an emotional topic. So, yeah, it was pretty hard, but but so worthwhile. You know, I mean, so completely different. Just sitting on my sofa because I, I hate working at a desk. So I'm sitting on my sofa with my laptop 
churning out the words. And some days were good and some days I'd get 20 words down and go, no, I can't do it. So it was quite a battle at points getting the words down, but also the days when it went well felt so good. And I was very aware that this was also a job. You know, I think you have to really get your head straight about these things. I'm not just sitting there. um, They were so lovely to give me a book deal and I have to honour that, you know, so it becomes work. And not work as in boring, but work as in I'm committed to this project. I want to do the best that I can. I don't want to have to return my advance. I don't want to let myself down. So you kind of you're motivated to just get on with it and get it done. Um, whereas if if I hadn't have had the the book deal, I I probably wouldn't have written it. Well, obviously, but you know I'd have had the idea, but never fully committed to doing it. So yeah, that really helped me sit my my backside down and and get on with it you know you sometimes you just have to push through so yeah good days and bad days for sure absolutely so did that one begin with a proposal as well um uh well no actually i it started with a blog post i at some point in possibly 2010 i wrote a blog post a really short one about the book i would write um if i was going to write a book and i waffled on about <laughs> i can't even remember what i said and uh editor from a publishing house read it and wrote to me and said well if you ever do want to do that book or, or get a proposal together i'd really love to see it so after running around my my living room for 10 minutes i wrote her back and i said my god that would be amazing i'd love to so i did i wrote a proposal i sent it to her she shared it with her team that's the, that's the way it works um and they gave me a book deal and it wasn't it was it's a small small imprint with a small publisher you know it wasn't we're not talking random house penguin you know big time but it was so encouraging for me as a a blogger as a teacher as a writer you know just for someone to to even offer me that i couldn't even believe it so that was how it started so i did the proposal i wrote the first chapter um, which didn't actually make it into the book, you know, chunks of it did. But in the end, the book that I wrote was not quite what I had proposed in the proposal. It was it was a, it's kind of the sister to the proposal, because as I wrote the proposal, I was still figuring out what the book could be. I knew I wanted it to be part of it about about bereavement and healing. But I also knew I wanted a lot of it to be about the creative journey. So I had an idea, but I I really clarified it as I wrote it. And I spent quite a long time working out what the chapters were going to be, what I was going to address in each one. And then I got down to actually writing it. So, yeah, it it took quite a while to figure it out, actually. And that seems to be a perpetual challenge of a book, you know, a book proposal and then a book deal. And then, you know, particularly with, you know, it's with a novel, you write the whole thing and then you're trying to sell the whole thing. But when you write a proposal, you're, you don't have the book yet. So no, it seems like there necessarily, uh, necessarily has to be flux. Well, you, you're trying to get, tell them about the ending when you're not even sure what the beginning is. Um, and I was trying to imagine, well, what do I want to say? How could I call? And you're coming up with t- chapter titles when you know, you're probably not going to use them, but you're trying to create this finished thing. Um, when you really have no idea what it's going to be. And maybe some nonfiction writers know exactly what what it is. But with this one, I didn't because it was going to be so personal, so emotional, so touchy-feely. Um, I, I just thought, well, how, how can I do this? But then the act of doing the proposal helps you clarify your ideas. So, I mean, it's such it, you need to do that even if you never write a book. 
even if it is going to be something different. It really helps you figure out the structure because you don't just sit down and start writing page one. I mean, I probably, I think I started with chapter three and jumped around and I went with what I was feeling pulled to. Um, I didn't just do it in a linear page one to page 300 or whatever it was. So there's a lot of chopping and changing, a lot of dancing around, but that's the only way I could do it. I wrote, I did write it in chunks and, and the chapters weren't done chronologically at all, but it was, I think that's just part of the creative process. And I think one of the resources you shared, which is, I think a huge benefit to this kind of process is Scrivener because oh, I, can't, man, yeah. I can't think of anything harder than writing a whole thing in one word document. It's just unfathomable. I wrote the book in Scrivener, but then when I sent it to my editor, I had to send it as a word document because that's what they use. So I compiled the whole thing, sent the manuscript. But then when I got it back and we did the first round of edits, I had to work on this bloody Word document and it was so <laughs> epically long. It did my head in, but that's what they used. And they, you know, they use the note making function in Word. I can't even think what it's called, but I hate it. Track changes. Track, yeah, yeah, track changes. Oh my God. But, but, but that's what they use and that's the standard. You know, I think it was the same uh, when we did the Polaroid book and that was a different publisher. So I had, I had to do that. But when I was creating the book, Scrivener was, was gorgeous because I could have all the different chapters all in one document and, you know, click click around and Scrivener is a fantastic word editing program. But yeah, Word, what a clunky dinosaur. <laughs> I am perpetually recommending Scrivener just because I think you can get your head yeah. around, at least I can, a small chunk at a time rather than here's the whole book. I know. Well, you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and then you lose your... It's just a really shitty, shitty program. But no, Scrivener was perfect. And I don't even know all the, all the little cool ins and outs things you can do with it. But I just liked having, I mean, it's like having lots of Word documents all in one folder. Um, but it just works for me and my brain. I love it. It's so useful. So glad I found it. So yes, write your book in Scrivener and then compile it into a Word doc and send it off. Did you do your proposal that way as well? Yeah, probably. I can't remember. It was quite a long time ago. Definitely for London Town was in Scrivener. Everything's in Scrivener. I write all my courses in Scrivener. I write my blog posts. I write my my newsletters. Everything's in Scrivener now. So I, I try and get Word off my computer, but then someone sends me an attachment in Word. I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's still on my laptop, but yes, no, everything's in Scrivener now, yeah. definitely. Since you are not just a book writer or, and not just a photographer, you also have a whole world where you're creating courses and offering courses. How do you balance something like a book project with the rest of your very busy life? I have to devote all my time to the book. So, I mean, remembering that I've only done three and they've been quite spread out. So this, I know, took six months. I was running courses at the same time, but I wasn't creating courses. So I could, I think I probably ran like two in those six months and devoted all my time to writing. That's, I mean, it's such a huge project. I couldn't do anything else. Um, uh, I remember during that time, I got the the copy for the Polaroid book. So I had to devote two solid weeks to editing that. So I didn't touch the other one just did the Polaroid book um, and then with London Town I was still running courses um, but I, again I wasn't creating any new ones I wasn't working on anything new I was just giving myself three days a week to go out and shoot pictures and actually on the days in between I was kind of lying on my sofa 
because I was so tired. It was such a, a physically exhausting process just because London's big. You get on the tube. It was the summer carrying all this, this heavy camera with me and my Polaroid camera. It was just absolutely knackering. So, yeah, I gave myself space to be able to just work on the book, you know, and I knew that because I had a target of how many pictures I needed to submit and obviously I think it was something like 250 and I took thousands so I had to edit them and choose them and it took a long time to kind of work out which ones I was going to use I knew from all the Polaroids I took I knew exactly what I would use because you take so few pictures but with the digital shots you know it took quite a bit of time to to to, to cull all the images down to the ones I really wanted to share so I just gave myself that time and I think any kind of big project like that, it deserves that amount of time. You know, I didn't want to do it a disservice and, and just do it part time. I'm like, no, 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 I need to do this properly. So I, I gave myself the time and let my courses kind of just tick on. And it, it worked quite well. As a, as a total course junkie of yours, I'm wondering how much, in particular, the journaling class and your amazing journaling practice informs your book practice or process well everything starts in a journal you know everything starts in a moleskin so what I was doing this I know I was going through a lot of my journals and just kind of picking up little sentences or I mean the first chapter is all about the bereavement so of course I went back through journals and just to kind of I mean not that I forget but just to be back in the the the, the rawness of what I was feeling back then so they were in completely invaluable but I mean, anything that I create, any course or the books, you know, it all starts in a moleskin. I mean, I've just been writing in it before you you rang me. That it's just so normal. You know, I've always been a scribbler. I'm a, I'm a scribbler, so everything starts there. And I'm sketching out the outline, or I'm jotting down notes or quotes or you know whatever it is. I have a, a journal that's my journal slash diary where I I write my insides out. Um, but then I also have, you know, workbooks and notebooks where I'm, I'm outlining stuff for work and ideas and, and projects. And, you know, there's loads of course ideas that I never actually use, but it's all in there. It's all catalogued and pr- preserved because you just never know when you're going to flip back and go, oh, yeah, I was thinking about that. And it just opens up a, an idea that you had. So, yeah, I don't know how people live without notebooks, actually. That's just weird to me. I always have to have a notebook near me otherwise I feel strange (laughs) yeah I I can relate I can relate for sure it just it just feels a little bit like an extension of your brain that helps it work better yeah it is it's it's like my external hard drive for my brain (laughs) is my notebook so if I don't know where it is I'm like oh but but what if I have to write something down so yeah I've got a little little mini moleskin in every bag got loads on my table just everywhere I I don't leave home without it literally I mean literally for sure so the other course that I, that has inspired me to play with this, do you involve tarot and oracle cards at all in your writing process? Not as in a way to inspire the writing. Um, the way I use them is more as emotional support or as a, a reflection of what's going on in me. So I always start my day drawing a few cards, might do a bit of journaling. They're more like journal prompts for me. But I don't really use them. Um, well, well, for example, I don't write fiction. So I can imagine if I did, I love all the archetypes that are in the tarot. So how cool would it be to create stories and use the cards in that way? 
Um, but for non-fiction, not so much. So the cards are more my, they're like my little cheerleaders. <laughs> like when I'm, when I was writing the tarot course, I draw a card in the morning as my, my inspiration for the day. And unfailingly, I draw like the Eight of Pentacles or the Empress or something that would maybe go, yeah, come on, or the Queen of Swords and the perfect cards for, you know, to start a day of writing and creating and thinking. So I'd always keep them propped up by my laptop so I could see them. So I use the cards in that way if I'm not using them to journal or to, to just have a bit of, get a bit of, you know, connect to my intuition. So, yeah, I use them like that, but not as prompts for writing fiction because I don't right. write fiction. Life's, life's weird <laughs> enough without needing to, to make it up, you know? That's how it's always been for me. I, I write about what's happening in my head rather than making up those stories. So, yeah, that's just, that's just yeah. my thing. I think people seem to have a very strong orientation in one direction or the other. And I think it's good to go on that inclination. I mean, I've obviously over the years I've tried to write stories, but I'm just not very good at it. So, and it doesn't give me any pleasure. So I'm like, okay, cool. I don't, and luckily we don't have to be good at everything. You know, we can figure out where our strengths are and where our, our natural um, interests lie. And for me, I've, I've kept a diary since I was 11 and I'm just about to turn 44, you know, so long time of writing diaries and journals. I've always been writing down stories of my life, I suppose, and trying to figure it all out. I'm just the biggest personal development junkie you'll find because it's just what I've always done. Um, and sharing my stories with other people, you know, before I was doing all of this stuff I'm doing now, I was a journalist. So and I wrote a lot of first person pieces for papers and magazines. So I've always been kind of spilling the beans on on my stuff, but with, with the hope that it would inspire someone else or just that, you know, the person reading it will feel a bit less alone. So that's that's always been what I've shared. And that's that's what I enjoy reading as well. Um, so I tend to read more nonfiction than fiction these days, although I do miss it. But I appreciate a good story when it's told by a really brilliant storyteller. You know, I'm not going to try and replicate that. I can't do that. Non-fiction all the way for me, I think. <laughs> There's always one, it seems like, that feels terrifying to someone, and the other one feels like, okay, I could probably do that. And I think it's it's perfectly reasonable to honor it. And and I think we need non-fiction at the moment. I think we need to hear people's stories and to hear what's going on with them, because I think, you know... There's nothing more upsetting than feeling alone and like you're the only one having an experience. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure that's why blogging has took off the way it did. You know, people being able to share their stories and their personal experiences and and get feedback on that and, and little communities grew and, and all of that stuff. It just made the world feel smaller. We have such shared experiences in life. Um, and blogging's been such a beautiful way to experience that. I mean, blogging's been, it changed my world. You know, when I was going through bereavement, I blogged about blogged about it quite a lot. And that's how I met a lot of even friends I have today um, or people that were going through something vaguely similar and they could understand. And that was just through the magic of my computer talking, sharing words online and finding people out in the world that were feeling something similar. So, yeah, magical stuff. And you don't always get that with a book. You know, you can relate to the author's story, but then... With blogging, you can actually have a conversation and 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 be in touch with them or not, but feel feel like you're along for the ride. It's not a finished story. Um, a book ends, but a blog is uh, is never ending. 
Well, that's how it feels anyway. Does it feel, I, I, I think there's something in some way, like by the time a book comes out, you've had a lot of time to work on it, you've edited it, there's been a whole team around it, and then it's this, to me, it, it, I imagine it would feel more separate versus a blog is so much faster and then people have the access to comment right away. Is there any way in which one feels more vulnerable than the other? Um, a book does, definitely, because you can't change it. You can't, you can't just, oh, I'm just going to go in and just change that, that crap, all that typo, all that bit of grammar. Oh, I can't believe I said that. When it's done, it's done. So that feels really vulnerable. And even now, I mean, I don't sit here and read my book back. There are loads of pieces in there. I'm like, man, I really wish I could take that out or I could have written that a bit better. So it's quite hard to read it back. Whereas with my blog, um, I mean, I'm not blogging much at the moment. I'm sharing all my words in my, my love letters that I send out. But and I suppose with those, I can't really edit those, but it feels more intimate. But I also feel like I have more control. And I mean, blogging, especially you can go back in and edit your post, you can delete it, you can, well, you can just write something off the cuff and share it. And you just never know who it's gonna, who's gonna feel a connection to it. I love the immediacy of it, the freshness of it. When you look at a book, it's you've gone over and over and over it so many times and sort of questioned every word. And it almost takes the joy out of it. Not completely. It feels really good when you've, you've finally finished the edit. Um, but my first draft wasn't the best thing I'd ever written, but the second draft was much better. And then by the time we finished with the copy editing, it was like, okay, it's the best I can do for now. But I would probably write something quite different now, all these years later, um, so yeah, so the book feels vulnerable because you can't change it, you know, and there are always going to be bits you read and you just cringe oh. and think, oh, I wish I hadn't said that, or I can't believe I said it that way, or why did I use that word? And obviously we're always going to be critical of our own work. Um, that's just, that's just what we like, aren't we? Creative people. Yeah, we're <laughs> constantly evaluating and changing and, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I can't help it. I read things and I'm like, ooh, and I'm copy editing it after it's already gone and it's too late. <laughs> Exactly. So you just have to be brave and accept that, okay, it's as good as it can be right in this moment, probably going to change my mind, but it has to be done. So, you know, it's uh, done is, is the best thing. It will never be perfect, but then nothing is. So thank yeah, God for exactly. that. Eventually you have to let it go. Yeah. So what are you reading now? Or ever have you read anything recently that's been, you know, especially enjoyable or a treat? Um, you may not have had time. Oh <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know. I actually can't answer that question. I've been reading a lot of tarot books, but that's not very interesting, is it? I just bought a book today, which I bought for the cover, classic. Don't judge right. a book by its cover. I totally <laughs> did. I'll have to send you a picture of it. You can, you can share it. It's called The mm. Trees, um, and the author is Ali Shaw. And I don't know who Ali Shaw is, and I don't know anything about it. And it's published by Bloomsbury, so that's quite a good publisher. Um, but the, there is the most beautiful drawing of a fox on the front. I mean, it's really striking. And I was in Waterstones earlier today um, buying a moleskin, funnily enough. And, uh, and I just saw the cover and just thought, oh, my God, what is that book? And picked it up. And it's, it looks like kind of a magical tale. Um, it seems grown up. Luckily, it's not YA fiction because I absolutely cannot stand that. Um, but it, 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 you know, it's got some good reviews on the cover, but that doesn't really tell you anything, does it? But the cover itself is so striking that I, I bought it. And even the guy on the till that sold it to me, he's like, 
oh, what's that book about? And I'm like, I don't know, I just like the cover. And we had a little <laughs> laugh. So, yeah, it's it's uh, they've done a really good job on the cover and it made me buy it. So I will have to report back when I've read it. It's quite a, quite a chunky book. might take me a while. Yeah, no rush. <laughs> but that's the first fiction book I've picked up in ages, um, just for the cover. It looks, I'll send you a picture. It really is quite striking. So... So, yeah, so my books at the moment, if I look around me, I've got books on intuition because my next course is going to be about intuition. So I'm reading around a few things at the moment. I bought a book by Indian Knight called The Goodness of Dogs because I am getting a dog in the new year. I bought an Abraham Hicks book. I'm reading a bit of Pema Chodron at the moment. You know, just nourishing stuff, nourishing stuff. I don't have a lot of time to sit and read at the moment. Um, with stuff that's been going on, family stuff that I need to take care of and look after and, and trying to get work done. I, I need more time to read. My constant thought is I wish I could just have a week where I could sit on the sofa and drink coffee <sighs> and read. And, and I yearn for that. I really do. And, and it's silly of me not to make that time because I am self-employed and I could actually block that time out and do it, but I never do. You know, I'm always, there's always something to do. Um, and I'm really wondering about that, even as I'm saying these words right now. It's like, why don't I just make space for a week of actually doing that? Why don't I do that? And there's no reason why why I can't. So, yeah, watch this space. Maybe I will actually get through some books and start reading my book with the magical fox on the front. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, I have a similar fantasy, actually, of like going on Airbnb. I even have a whole section of little castles in Ireland because I feel like if oh, I just yeah. went there for a week and had a little fire and some oatmeal, you know, I could just sit there yeah. with yeah. like a, a so steamer crazy. chunk of oh. books. That's sort of my, that's like on yeah. the, but yeah. this is it. We need to do this. We need to just do it. And you're right. It needs to be Airbnb and it needs to be somewhere with no internet because that's mm-hmm. the problem for me because I can work from anywhere. And if I've got my laptop, I'm going to plug in. I'm going to plug into the matrix. <laughs> be piddling around online so it needs to be like no wireless which makes me immediately feel slightly like I'm going to hyperventilate but no internet imagine like reading real books what a pleasure so yeah I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it I don't know when we did it last year for New Year's actually we went to Big Sur where there's no reception at all and at first it was like and then it was like oh yes this is fantastic yeah 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 Well, what I've been thinking is um, for my birthday next year, um, I really want to get another tattoo. I mean, I have quite a few, so that's not a surprise. Um, But I quite like linking them to birthdays. Um, And for my 40th, I flew to New York and and got a tattoo. And I'm thinking for my 44th, I quite like to do this. And about the fours Mm. is quite appealing. Um, Anyway, the, 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 the artist I'm trying to get an appointment with is in Portland, Oregon, so I'm thinking, God, if I can actually make that happen, maybe there is my opportunity because I'm going to need a few days there to get over jet lag, a few days after the appointment to, you know, just let my heel, my uh, skin calm down before I get on a plane home. So I'm like, well, how could I, have a, I could have a week in Oregon, get my tattoo and just read loads of books, see a few people, stay in an Airbnb. How amazing would that be? So maybe that's going to be my window, my book and ink window that feels good so yeah and then you've got Powell's cities of city of books to wander around in which could be a whole work week itself oh I love Powell I've been there before it was amazing so yeah exactly I could just 
just wander around with my sore arm. <laughs> be great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I this is I think to me bookstores function slightly like open air drug markets. I I cannot go in yeah, yeah. not planning to buy something. Oh, I can't even get out the door without having several books on me. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I'm the girl that never has time to read, she says. But even today, you know, I came out with this book just because I like the cover. I I just glanced at the back and went, yep, no, I'll buy it. So, yeah, books are drugs, man. Books are drugs. It's And they're the best kind of drugs. I love them. I just love having them around. I've got loads of books. Um, I need to spend more time enjoying them, actually. I just like owning them. It's just—it's like some people buy shoes. I have like three pairs of shoes, and I have a lot of books. They kind of—they they keep me grounded, you know. They're just—and I—I have a Kindle as well. I love my Kindle. I really appreciate it, but I still buy books, you know. And I have books on the Kindle and a physical copy. So, oh yeah, yeah. It's no—it's never going to stop. No, it's not. And I—I I think it's good because I think there's something about a book that I've selected in a bookstore versus yeah. something I found online, there's always something yeah. a little bit more visceral about the one I found in a bookstore. Well, and it's that whole thing of actually paying full price and not half price on Amazon. It's like, wow, I just paid full price. Like this book here, eight ninety nine. Probably could have got it on Amazon for a fiver. But I'm like, no, I'm going to pay full price. So, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's real special. And you've just selected it. And just seeing all the books and the, the covers they're doing at the moment. Oh, they're so good. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same over there, but those UK publishers are really knocking it out of the park at the moment. They just all look so good. I saw a copy of The Handmaid's Tale today, and the cover was beautiful. I was like, I nearly, I'm not, I've got this book at home, I don't need to get another copy, but it just looked so gorgeous. And so the book so deserved that cover. It was, yeah, it was lovely. So I'm really impressed with what they're doing. Um, it just, and you don't get that same feeling obviously with a with a kindle book so yeah you yeah. yeah, they often but, skip but, right past the cover and go straight to page one and you're like wait a minute i want to see yeah, what the I cover see. i know i know it's silly i've been quite enjoying reading kindle books on my ipad so i actually have a a color oh, cover that's good that's quite nice yeah i quite appreciate that but then the smallness of the little paper white kindle thing i've got um it is great for planes and trains it's and, and having well, I think I've got about 150 books on there now. Just ha- I've got 150 books in my bag. Yes. What a brilliant invention. I love it. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It was life-changing to be able to get on a plane with just my purse. Yeah. Yeah. It's game-changer. Totally. So do you have any plans to, do you have any books kind of percolating at the moment? Or is that satiated by London town this past year no 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 I really do I really do actually one of my courses I really want to turn into a book Um, and I'm but I'm at the moment I'm grappling with the whole should I self-publish question Mm. Um, because it's it's possible to create something that's actually really quite beautiful when you self-publish and and I've had the experience of being traditionally published and it's brilliant and I honor it um, but I'm like, I would kind of like a bit more control. That's quite appealing. Um, I'd like to be able to get it out sooner. That's also appealing. But then there's the other part of me that know there's a couple of publishers I'd really, that would be my dream publishers to work with. So that's also there. So I'm thinking what I'm probably going to do next year is work on a proposal and then just float it out there and see what happens. Um, and also consider just getting on with the book um, and maybe self-publishing. I don't know yet. 
um, there's a lot of cachet still attached to getting a book deal. You know, we all still hanker after that. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm also quite in love with the idea of doing it myself and having that control and making what I really want. I think after the, 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 the cover of London Town not being what I wanted, it does take the shine off it a little bit mm. because I look at it and I understand why they chose it and, and it makes sense to me as well. And I look at it, I'm like, yep, yep, totally works. But it still wasn't what I'd pictured. And that is disappointing. So to be able to create the book and have the cover that I dream of and have that control and make the insides look how I want and and just just have all of that in my hands, in my control would be just amazing. So I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I don't know yet. But there is one publisher I would actually really like to work with. So, And they do take submissions, propose, you know, proposals, but... I don't have an inroad in there. All the all the other things I've I've had a kind of a way in, but I don't this time. I really would be going to them as someone they don't know. So that feels very vulnerable. Um, but I still think it would be worth pursuing. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, we'll see see what happens next year. So you'd be going in without an agent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did have an agent with this I know. Um, but the stuff she's working on now, she's with another company. She does more kind of news stuff, more political stuff. And obviously mine's fluffy woo-woo stuff. So yeah, but it's not a fit anymore. And that's completely cool. It was a lovely experience working with her at the time. Um, and because the publisher had approached me, I didn't need her to find me a publisher, but I asked her to help me uh, navigate signing the actual deal and, and making sure everything was was correct so so that was good um but yeah I mean it, I should probably pursue an agent blah 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 but this is why self-publishing feels quite seductive because I'm like actually I know what I want why don't I just create it um and maybe a publisher would come along afterwards but why don't I actually just make the book um how, how would that be what would that be like so yeah it's something I'm thinking about definitely I know the book I want to write so I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's make it happen. We'll see. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely yearning to do a written book. You know, London Town was lovely, but I really want to just sit down and write. I'm really mm. going to do that. So, yeah, it will be a written book for sure. Well, I can't wait to read it. And it sounds like you can't lose because you can either go with that publisher you really like or you can do it yourself. So. Wow. That's if they want me. They might not want me. So there's, I can't have, I've got no expectations there. I would have to go to them and, and see what they think. But yeah, who knows? I will trust the universe to steer me in the right direction. Yes, I think so. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about all of this. It's, I know, going to be incredibly helpful to have all this insight from your experiences for everyone listening. People were in particular asking about proposals, so I know that will be a huge um, help to know about that. It's, they are so crucial, and publishers really want to know about your platform. That's almost almost more important than the idea. they got to vaguely like the idea, but if you've got the platform behind you, then that's, that's kind of all they want to know about these days. Um, so, yeah, keep building your platform. Um, your social media and have a tribe of people that want to read what you're writing that seems to be really key as well um, so it's not like the old days when they'd do a book tour for you and oh no those days are long gone you um, you're almost in charge of marketing your own book so very important so start marketing yourself now <laughs> start but yeah start start building it up now yeah 
and and I was um, listening to an interview with someone the other day. I can't remember who it was. Uh, talking about, I think it was an agent talking about, you know, what what publishers are looking for. I mean, it's definitely a clear voice, um, a good idea, but also a platform and a tribe of people and being known for the subject you want to write a book about. That's really important. Don't just come come to them with an idea out the blue. It's like actually, I've already been doing stuff around this I'm already known for this thing I want to write for that seems to be quite important as well so you can start building that long before you've even got your proposal and way longer than before you you find your publisher so yeah start now definitely well this is good because uh we've got a new year coming and there isn't a better time I think to start now than absolutely the beginning of a new year yeah we've got nothing to lose you know let's just let's begin so we'll have a bunch of links on there we'll link to your site your books and then also if anyone doesn't already know um susan has got a project going now called december reflections and a wonderful workbook called unraveling the year ahead which is something i always do at the end of the year to reflect on the past year so make sure you take advantage of all of that yeah thank you love actually i've renamed it this year i'm calling it it yeah, yeah. This is hot off the press. I'm now calling it Unravel Your Year. To, to, <gasps> so I'm like, oh, that feels a bit more a bit more punchy. So yeah, Unravel Your Year. There's Find Your Word, which is the, the little course to help you find your word for the year. Um, and I'm I'm going to create a planner as well called Make Ooh. Your Days. So that's coming as well. So yeah, I'm doing a whole little, little um, package of goodness for everyone. So yeah, that will be out on the 5th of December. That will be on my site. So and it's all for free. So it's my, my little present. That's oh, what I give everyone. Yeah. Best present ever. <laughs> so thank you so much. It was a joy having you. You're so welcome. Thank you for asking me lovely questions. It's been great. Thanks again to Muse Monthly for sponsoring the show. Remember, if you use the code SECRET00 with SECRET all caps, you can get 10% off your subscription at musemonthly.com. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.